Good morning, Christ Prez. You know, this last year has been, in a lot of ways, a year full of no's. No, you can't come in without a mask. No, you can't gather with a group of people that large. No, you can't go on vacation. No, you can't eat at your favorite restaurant. No, you can't go to school. No, you can't play with your friends. No, you can't hug your grandma. In and with all these no's uh, that we've heard, we've been reminded of how fragile the world really is. I mean, if we've learned anything in the last year or so, it's that life is a lot less predictable and a lot less certain than any of us would like. How can we have resilience and stability when so much about our world feels unreliable? How can we stay encouraged when there are so many no's, so many struggles, so many ways that life doesn't turn out the way we hoped? In a roundabout way, that's what Paul is getting at in this section of the letter. The Corinthian church is frustrated with Paul because he appears to have flaked out on his travel plans. He told them he was going to visit them, but he changed his plans and he wrote a letter instead. They think this is a sign of his lack of character, that Paul is unreliable, that he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth at the same time. And so on one level, Paul is defending himself. He's trying to help the Corinthian church understand his decisions. But the way Paul does this is so interesting. He goes right to the heart of the good news about Jesus, and he offers a little theological reflection about God's incredible faithfulness and dependability in the midst of uncertainty. Paul's focus on God's dependability centers on the word yes. In a season when we've heard so many no's, this yes comes as such good news. So let's dig into it by looking actually at three wonderful yeses that Paul draws our attention to. Three yeses that bring comfort in our times of trouble. Three yeses that remind us of God's power in our weakness. First, God says yes to keep all his promises to you. You know, ever since the beginning, one of our biggest human problems has been with trusting God. Is he really for us? Does he really care? Is he really committed to our good? When we face times of affliction, when our experience in the world seems to give us a big no, or, or maybe all kinds of little no's one after another, it becomes so easy to doubt the character and trustworthiness of God, maybe even to doubt his very existence. You remember God's people in the Old Testament, they wondered about God's faithfulness in these ways quite a bit. The Psalms bear witness to this kind of questioning and doubting and crying out and lamenting. Is God really good? Is he really for us? When and how will God make good on his promises? When will God rescue? When will he heal? When will he save? When will God show himself to be faithful? I'm so comforted by the fact that the Old Testament includes these kinds of questions. Like the, these kinds of um, questions, this kind of doubting and questioning the goodness and promises of God, that's not out of bounds when it comes to the, to the life of faith. You know, if we look only at our circumstances, maybe the most reasonable thing to conclude is that sometimes God is for us and sometimes he's against us. Sometimes he's trustworthy and sometimes he's not. Maybe God is divided within himself. Maybe he's for us and against us all at once. Maybe sometimes he loves us and sometimes not so much. Maybe he, he's care and indifference uh, all jumbled up together. Maybe there's the God we get in Jesus, and then there's some other God back behind Jesus who we can never really know and therefore never fully trust. But now, 
Look at verses 19 and 20. Paul writes this, the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him, it is always yes. For the promises of God find their yes in him. In him, in Jesus Christ, it is always yes. In family, this takes us to the very heart of the gospel. That in Christ, we know a God who is unequivocally for us. He's not divided. He doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. His word is simply Jesus Christ, which means his word is yes. What does this mean? I love the way Karl Barth reflects on this. He writes this. He says, it is itself good news, glad tidings, news which uplifts and comforts and sustains. It is not a mixed message of joy and terror, salvation and damnation. It does not proclaim in the same breath both good and evil, both help and destruction, both life and death. It does, of course, throw a shadow. We cannot overlook or ignore this aspect of the matter. In itself, however, it is light and not darkness. The final word is never that of warning, of judgment, of punishment, of a barrier erected, of a grave opened. We cannot speak of it without mentioning all these things. The yes cannot be heard unless the no is also heard. But the no is said for the sake of the yes and not for its own sake. In substance, therefore, the first and last word is yes and not no. Close quote. You know, we've, we've had a year of hearing all kinds of little no's and, and maybe some really big no's. And, and there's even a little no included in the gospel. No to our sin and, and no to our selfishness and pride. But all these no's are made to serve God's big final yes in Jesus Christ. In him, it is always yes. Can you trust it, family? That God is unequivocally for you that he has pledged himself to you with an unswerving love. In him, it is always yes. And and Paul goes on, he says, all God's promises find their yes in him. I mean, think of all the promises that God made to his people in scripture. God promises uh, to rescue, to deliver, to save, to forgive, to always be with us, to take care of us forever, to, to heal the world. Paul is saying that all the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. They've either already been fulfilled in him or they will be fulfilled in him. But either way, if you want to see how God is working out his good purposes for the world, the person we must look to is always and only Jesus Christ. And so are you someone who is struggling to believe that God is faithful, that he's really for you, that there's there's someone who's really... um, Uh, in charge of the world, taking responsibility for it, that that everything in the end is going to work out and be okay. Well, look at Jesus. God's yes has been pronounced for you and for the whole world in him. Can you hear God's great yes to you in Jesus Christ? That's the first yes that Paul highlights. Second, God says yes to hear and to answer your prayers. So in verse 20, Paul writes this. He says, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen is the Hebrew or Aramaic word for yes. And here, Paul seems to have in mind our worship and prayer that is offered to God. It's like all of this, our prayer and our worship, this is our little yes to God's big yes to us and Jesus. 
It's our response to that extraordinary grace. And Paul is saying that it's all done through Jesus to God for his glory. Because of God's great yes to us in Christ, we have his assurance that we now have access to God through Christ, our priest, and the amen we utter is a word of trust that God hears our prayers through Jesus. You remember in 1 Timothy, Paul says that Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and man. He's the only one. You see, uh, we can't serve as our own mediators. Like, we can do nothing to make our relationship with God right. Singing praise songs doesn't do it. Prayer doesn't do it. Serving and loving others doesn't do it. Knowing the Bible really well doesn't do it. Our relationship with God is made right only by Jesus and only in Jesus. Everything about our relationship with God is mediated through Jesus Christ. Athanasius, one of the early church fathers, he spoke of Jesus exercising a twofold ministry. Do you remember that? He said that Jesus ministered the things of God to man and the things of man to God. You know, so often we kind of lose sight of that second aspect of Jesus' ministry. So we're quick to acknowledge uh, Jesus as being God's word to us. Jesus is God's yes to us. All God's promises find their yes in Jesus. But what Athanasius saw is that Jesus is also our word to God, that he is our yes to God. That's what it means for him to be the mediator. That's what it means for him to have this twofold ministry. He's not only God's word to us, but he's our word to God. He's God's great yes to us, and he's also our yes to God. This is a great comfort that even our response to God, even our response to grace, is being taken care of in a real way by our mediator, Jesus Christ. So it's not like God shows us grace in Jesus and then leaves the responsibility of responding to that grace solely up to us. If that were the case, then in the last resort, the responsibility of being right with God would be ours. God does his part, and then we have to do our part. But you see, Jesus doesn't just minister the things of God to humanity. He also ministers the things of humanity to God. As a human being, he can do that. He can offer to God the perfectly faithful human response that is needed. Here is the one mediator, not just from God's side, but also from our side. And you see, this is particularly true in prayer. We aren't left on our own in prayer, as if we have to come to God and pray the exact right words and the exact right ways for God to hear us. All our praying is graciously taken, taken up by God and received through Christ for God's glory. I mean, scripture goes even f- farther and it says Christ himself prays for us. I mean, that's one of the glorious truths of the resurrection and ascension, that Jesus keeps interceding for us and representing representing us before the Father. He is our great high priest in heaven. Bob Stamps, uh, he's an old saint here in Richmond. He says it like this, that Jesus prays there in heaven in my name that I can pray in his name. He prays there as though he were me, that I might pray there as though I were him. He prays there as the son of man, that I might pray there as a son of God. I love that. Uh, And remember, our great high priest, Jesus, he prays for us even when we don't know how to pray. 
the Scottish pastor and theologian, James Torrance, he tells a story uh, of walking along the beach one day and he encounters an old man along the, the beach and Torrance greets the man and uh, the man asked him where he was from. And when Torrance told the man that he was a Presbyterian minister from Scotland, this old man just started pouring out his heart. After 45 years of marriage, his wife was dying of cancer. And he said, I've been walking up and down the beach all night, desperate, because I don't know how to face the future without my wife and without any faith. I was raised in the church, but I've drifted away. And now I just wish I had some faith. I've been trying to pray, but I can't. I wonder, I wonder how you might respond to the old man at this point. I wonder what your counsel might be. Well, here's what Torrance did. Instead of trying to coach the old man to have more faith, he said this. He said, you want to pray. You are trying to pray. But listen, in Jesus Christ, you have someone who is praying for you. Someone who is holding on to you. Someone who is carrying you. Stop looking to yourself and look to Christ because even in your lack of faith, he is holding on to you. And in Christ, nothing, not doubt nor even death can separate you from the love of God. Rest in his love. So this is a second encouraging, comforting yes. God says yes to hearing our response to his great yes to us in Jesus. And he even responds to the great yes on our behalf. He speaks God's yes to us in Jesus, and he speaks our yes to God also through Christ. Third, God says yes to keep you and to guard you forever. You know, as people who belong to Jesus, one of our callings is to grow up into the likeness and maturity of Christ. Like Jesus has claimed us as our own and we're meant to reflect his likeness out into the rest of the world. Remember that the word Christ is a word that means Messiah, which literally just means the anointed one. Well, now in our passage, we learn that God anoints not only the Messiah, but also all those who belong to the Messiah. Look at verses 21 and 22. Paul writes, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the idea here is that God has anointed us with his spirit. The gift of the spirit is like a down payment, a guarantee of the fulfillment of God's promises in Christ. You know, if you've ever bought a house, you remember making a down payment on the house. It's like this big lump sum in advance that shows that you intend to pay off all the rest in due time. Well, Paul is saying that when God anoints us with the Spirit, it's like he's giving us the first part of the gift that will be completed in the resurrection itself. The Spirit is a guarantee of all the good that awaits us. It's a gift meant to give extraordinary hope. As surely as you've received the Spirit, you can be sure that God will keep you and guard you to the end. You know, this promise from God is not just words. I mean, God has given you the his very presence, the very presence and power of the Spirit of Christ living within you as a pledge and promise that he will get you there, that he will get you through, that nothing you ever face, nothing you ever go through, no pain or struggle will stop God from bringing you to share in his joy.
Well, Paul also says that God's spirit is like his seal on us. Uh, back in the day, important letters would be sealed by the sender um, by pressing a signet ring into molten wax, and this showed the letter to be authentic. Um, it, it showed everyone who the letter was from, and God says yes to us by sealing us as his own, which means, um, for one thing, like he's not ashamed of you. He wants others to know that you are his. The seal is a public seal. You bear his seal. So the gift of the Spirit to us is a mark of his ownership of us. And it's this wonderful promise, this guarantee um, that he will hold fast to us forever. Family, what do you imagine God is saying to you right now? Sometimes I think the voice we imagine is saying something like this. No, you're not good enough. No, you're not lovable. No, you haven't done enough. You haven't tried hard enough. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't parented well enough. You haven't made enough of a difference. You know, sometimes we think of God as, as you know, having a scowl on his face maybe glasses down on the tip of his nose, about to shake his head at us in disappointment. No, not him. No, not her. Family, in Jesus, we see God's eternal, unstoppable, unequivocal yes. In a season of so many no's, can you hear this astounding series of yeses from this triune God of grace? Yes, the Father promises to fulfill all his promises to you. Yes, the Son promises to intercede for you forever. Yes, the Spirit has sealed you, guaranteeing that you belong to God forever, giving you the first down payment of the resurrection to come. Can you hear it? Yes, 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 from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Will you respond to this great love? Believe the gospel in Jesus' name, amen.